0: You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world.
1: And I've written a little bit about the uneasy relationship between feminism and football. Um, Particularly, like I said at the start, it is such a hyper-masculine culture often that accompanies football. And... um, I guess I got really used to my worlds only collided when footballers sexually assaulted women. Whereas now, with the new Women's League and um, things like what, you know, Joe Watson did, my worlds get to collide in the most magic way and I'm so excited about that.
0: I confess that I've loved the local version of football since I was a kid and even now I spend what I consider a bit too much time contemplating the woes of my team. But I also know that football has the potential to be a vehicle for bringing about positive social change. Thus, when I stumbled across this week's guest on Twitter, I knew that a fascinating conversation would ensue. Football and feminism are two subjects that, now I think about it, fit very well together, even though I never suspected I would be talking about them through the same episode on this podcast. I'm Adam Murray and thanks for joining me as I talk with Carmen Hawker on the subtle disruption of football through feminism. What do you want to start by talking about where you've picked for our conversation?
1: Mm, absolutely. Well, when I got the call from you, the first thing that popped into my head was the MCG. And look, that's not uncommon for me. (laughs) Like I I think about it. Yeah, it's sort of like that thing where they say, you know, Americans think about Abraham Lincoln however many times a day or whatever. (laughs) It's like I, I think about the MCG probably far more than I I should, (laughs) very socially acceptable. Um, Yeah, I guess the first place that popped into my head and, um, you know, today, being the Friday before Grand Finals, like Christmas Eve for me, like, it's just the whole city comes alive, given your podcast is about, you know, Melbourne, I think, God, what's more iconic Melbourne than... The MCG, yeah,
0: MCG, so. our grand final day, exactly. Or well, grand, the day before grand final. Day. Yeah, yeah, and
1: outside is just a wash with, you know, really happy people, and it's just really exciting. So, been out amongst it. Yeah, um, did you go to yeah, the parade? Did go to the parade. Uh, couldn't see a hell of a lot, um, but yeah, that was well worth going to, and just sort of, you know, had a little wander around, and they had all the. Premiership cups of every um, team in a big cabinet. Oh, do they? Yeah. All of them? Yeah, all of them. So I got to see Carlton's 16. Yeah. Uh, premiership sitting there, gleaning in the uh, sunlight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we are both. So maybe we should, for those people that may not know what we're talking about, there might be a few that don't care as well, but for those that don't uh, yeah, know. Yeah, I
1: fear <laughs> that there's a number of people that have just gone, nah, this podcast isn't for me now. <laughs> turn off (laughs) I promise you (laughs) it's okay it's
0: not going to be all about footy and sport is it but we'll no no there's I'm sure we're complex
1: human beings but that is a significant part of my identity (laughs) that I'm happy to talk about (laughs) anyone who'll listen
0: (laughs) um so it's the it's Australian rules footy is what we're talking about Melbourne is not all of Melbourne but a lot of people in Melbourne um, are very, quite obsessed by it. It's, it's, it's a big part of the culture here. Mm. Um, and yeah, the grand finals, there's two teams left and they're playing off tomorrow. One of them hasn't been in the grand final for about 60 years. So mm-hmm. It's like pretty special. The whole of Melbourne's probably supporting for them. I know I am. Yes. <laughs> um, and we're both Carlton supporters. We are yeah. long-suffering Carlton supporters. Yeah, that's right. It's been a long time since our team's been <laughs> in the grand final. Longer yep. since we've won one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Um, so, what do you think about the MCG so much?
1: Well, I actually, and sometimes when I say this, I get these strangest looks. Um, but for me, football and the culture that surrounds it is akin to a religious experience for an atheist person. Yeah. <laughs> like, and um, I guess the you know, the traditions in my family growing up, and, you know, it's a massive um, part of my relationship with my dad and the sort of pilgrimage aspect of, you know, going to the grounds, you know, decked out in your colours and obviously there's singing Mm. and cheering involved and I guess um, it's just so much more than the game itself. Yeah. Um, It is a culture. um, And... I guess I see it as well as one of my key sites of disruption as well. Interesting. So, um, being feminist, you know, working for women's rights organisations, I see, you know, hyper-masculine sporting culture as being, like, almost like my final frontier of, like, getting this work done. And so... It's almost like I go there and I feel like I'm being subtly disruptive, being like a feminist walks amongst you, you know, at the football. And I love that. <laughs> and, and, you know, sort of challenging stereotypes of, you know, women being able to know everything about footy and go to the footy. and Yeah. Yeah, I've always been a sort of minority in that way in friendship groups where I'm sort of like the only girl or only woman who, um, you know, is sort of into the footy and can mix it with um yeah all the guys so that's sort of I don't know it's just such a special place and now I'm lucky enough um to live and see it from you know my house which was always the goal so (laughs) no seriously (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous but I don't know I just feel like I've come home or something it's a really strange experience and for the people at the start of the podcast who hadn't switched off with a the footy, they've definitely now switched off. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure there are parallels that other people can find with certain things in their life, be they faith-based or yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what the MCG means to me. This I... is not sponsored by the MCG. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be said. <laughs> But if they do hmm. want to sponsor us, correct. It's that's open fine. For that. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was certainly like the MCG held that kind of mistake in my mind as a kid yeah. growing up as well. Cool. And I live nearby here too. And it was like I used to walk past these houses after the cricket or after the footy. I'm like, wow, those people. are oh. so lucky. Like, oh my gosh, imagine living right
2: there. Yeah. And
0: um, yeah, it is, I guess in some ways for me living close has destroyed a little bit of oh, that, about the MCG no yeah. way. but it's still it's it's still it's something about the way the whole area is laid out too sure like it's it's the stadium and there's all that, the history and all everything that's happened there the Olympics have been there and so many amazing things Billy Graham for those people that are a little bit you know religious was here as well mm. can, and spoke but the way it there's a big park around it so you really do get that sense of almost seeing it in the distance sure and then you walk to it and it and it starts to loom large as you walk to it and it's and there's people walking with you and like you were saying, I you know am. in the colors and yeah it's yeah. it's kind of walking it's walking to a sacred space it, yeah anything. and
1: that's what it kind of feels like for me and i think um you know, I pinch myself every day. The sheen I haven't lost that sort of excitement or the, the sheen hasn't come off it for me. Um and I'm sorry that it sorta of has for you in some ways. I mean, yeah, getting stuck in traffic jams and having road closed every weekend, but I just don't care because yeah. footy has to happen, so <laughs> um, I you know, there's pretty much not a time I don't drive past and just think, Wow, I am so lucky and so privileged to to be here, yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> and it's pretty interesting times, given you know, given what you've just talked about. There being this um, subversive person in a way coming into yeah. football, <laughs> and uh, almost a little bit an undercover agent, because um, well, the women's women's league is starting AFLW exactly. and starting yes. uh, next year, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting.
1: It's extremely exciting.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Have you have you been a have you followed that journey for a long time?
1: Um, I'd love to say that I did, but I haven't, and I'm a new bandwagoner, I guess. Um, just insofar as, I guess, when I was growing up, um, girls didn't play footy at all, and so I, to be perfectly honest, didn't really even know that women's leagues existed yeah. until I was, you know, in my sort of mid to late. No, no, I'm. I'm 27. I can't say mid to late 20s yet, really, can I? <laughs> but until a couple of years ago. Um, and then it's sort of too. I didn't feel like, you know, that was something that I was going to join then. Um, and then I just sort of started coming across um, some women that were working in um, women's health sector who also played footy on the weekends. And, you know, following the story of, like, a Daisy Pierce who's a midwife and all that stuff, I was like, wow, these are really, really incredible um, trailblazing women in so many ways and there's so many great stories. And when the level of professionalism in um, the men's league, you sort of, you lose a lot of that backstory. Like, you know, they don't have other jobs necessarily that they're combining it with. They're not like Moana Hope who's, you know, caring for her sister and, you know, one of many siblings and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. You don't often get those fantastic stories when a league has reached the level of professionalism um and money i guess and um you know the training from so young into the you know the feeder leagues and that sort of thing but um yeah so i think that there's so many fascinating stories for the women's footy and um like i was sort of saying i see sport as just a really great vehicle to talk about other aspects of social change Mm. um yeah, and so I actually really enjoy watching the couple of games that got televised this year. That the was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, just sort of starting to dip my toe into going along to some of the events. And I went to a Women of Carlton event that was, yeah. you know, brilliant. And it was it was really... So it was about um, changing almost like a changing of the guard of the old boys club feel that Carlton Footy Club has had for so many years and with um, the federal sex discrimination commissioner Kate Jenkins is on the board um, and also very well known sort of Victorian woman Mary Crooks who um, is the head of the Victorian Women's Trust she's also mad keen Carlton supporter and with those two there I think that they've you know sort of been in the year and leading, you know, some of the, the hierarchy there and, and they held this um, inaugural um, Carlton Listens to Women event yeah. uh, that I was lucky enough to go along to with, I think, about 100 women and they were sort of asking us about our experience of the club, of the brand, of the boys' club feel, of, you know, how safe do you feel at the footy yeah. and all those sorts of things and it, and it felt... Um, like a really meaningful thing to be part of yeah. um, and I just, I, you know, you go back 20 years and something like that would have never happened Yeah, and you can see how far, you know, we're sort of coming and when it feels never-ending, the push for, you know, equality or social justice, you need to celebrate those small wins when you have them and that felt like one of those days um, and, you know, the new Women's League feels like one of those moments too. Yeah. <laughs>
2: What
0: were some of the things that women were saying at that event?
1: Um, I'm trying to think back to my table. I mean, overwhelmingly, I left with a sense of um, these women love football more than, you know, more than anything. (laughs) Just that sort of sense of, like, we all love the game and we love the club, but there's a part of it that alienates Mm. us. And we want it to be better. Like it's almost everyone had the vest, like their vested interests in the club doing well and you know being a great place. And so it was a really beautiful sort of experience like that. I mean, I remember I was sitting across from an older woman. Uh, she was in her late seventies. She travelled from Gippsland to Vizzy Park, which is in you know Parkville or. Um, Sort of northern suburbs of Carleton, northern suburbs of Melbourne. You know, couple of hours she travelled together by nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and I told her oh, I was uh, six years old when Carlton won their last premiership, and I've never seen success. Tears in her eyes of just, oh my goodness, I feel so sorry for you. And <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, wow, these people are as passionate as I am, and they're all in the same room together, and that's really magical. Um. And look, I went there with a specific lens to talking about um, Carlton had launched a family violence prevention campaign um, with the support of Kate Jenkins. Um, And I guess I just wanted to hear from some of the club officials that were sort of on our table that that was more than just a piece of paper. Like what's actually happening across the club to make sure that, you know, it's not just a yeah. PR exercise, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I came away feeling like um, the power brokers at the club were starting to really understand how important it is to, I don't know, treat women as equal. Sounds stupid, but it feels revolutionary in some of these circles.
0: Yeah, probably. So.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like I. I guess, I don't know if I've changed or maybe I've had a a bit of a break from footy over the past couple of years because I haven't been as interested because Carlton hasn't been doing so well. (laughs) But then just coming back and watching a few more games on TV and even turning on a few of the, you know, the, the through the week footy shows, sometimes, like, I just remember a couple of times this year thinking, oh my gosh, Like this is so blokey. Oh, yeah. Like, so blokey. And um, it's probably, you know, it's, it's always been like that, right? Yeah, but, but you it, only
1: just notice. I, I
0: know. Yeah, I'm just really starting to notice it.
1: They're earth-shattering moments, I find.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they are. Just like, man, this is actually embarrassing. And then this year there was quite a bit of controversy about um, the ice bath mm-hmm. and um, comments made about a particular female... Mm-hmm football writer. Yeah. And absolutely. Violence against her. Yeah. Yeah. In a joking way, but Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's I have such strong recollections of that week. Um and I guess so I have I have watched the footy show for twenty years with my family. Every Thursday night we sit in front of it, right? Yeah. And a couple of years ago when I was sort of going through a lot of personal transformation in terms of my politics, um, coming back and thinking exactly what you just said, oh my goodness me, like things that I did not even realise and now I'm so embarrassed to have supported you know, <laughs> this show with my ratings, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> and then seeking out alternative forms of commentary and um, so, you know, tuning into Marngrook footy show which is superb and That's fabulous. yeah. Uh, right. NITV. NITV, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know, not only, you know, everyone thought when Rebecca Madden uh, made it onto the footy show, oh, the first woman on a footy. no, Maan Grook has two women every single week in Layla, Guru and Shelley Ware, who are there, Shelley being a mad keen Carlton supporter as well, so have a soft spot for her. But, you know, and then I'd been listening to um, the Outer Sanctum podcast and a few other, you know, groups of women who are obsessed with footy and they exist on the margins or they're sort of fringe dwellers in a way because um, because they're women
2: yeah.
1: um, and because they have something to say. And uh, I remember I was, I was driving, because that was Queen's birthday Monday, wasn't it, the, the game that uh, Eddie had said those, Eddie McGuire had said on Triple M, and I was in the car and listening to the radio, and um, I remember hearing it live. You heard it live, And yeah. yelling at, into my radio, <laughs> obviously, just being like, that's a disgrace, and da-da-da-da-da, and um, turning to my partner and being like, did you believe he just said that? And, um, and he didn't hear it, so I relayed it back to him. And then he goes, oh, geez, that's not really okay. And I thought, oh, good. You know, if he thinks it's not okay, it's definitely not okay. <laughs> it's not just me being hypersensitive or, or whatever. And I remember that night um, going onto Twitter and searching for something. I'm, I, and I checked social media every day that week, looking for someone to have made a big deal out of it. And I saw nothing, nothing. until Aaron Riley wrote that piece and the Outer Sanctum podcast picked it up because they obviously all knew. Yeah. And I felt like I was the only one. Yeah. It's just that people who are speaking out against power brokers of that nature are silenced in a way and they don't have the platforms that Triple M yeah. have and, and whatever. So, yeah, I remember distinctly you know, remember, like, listening to that live and then, you know, having a discussion about that actually makes me feel less safe at the football. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really real for so many women. Yeah. Or other, you know, marginalised groups, you know, friends of mine from LGBTI communities that feel far less safe going to the football after, you know, things that maybe Stephen Milne has said or, or whatever, so... Um, I think that the voice from the Outer Sanctum or outside the mainstream is getting louder and louder. And um, you know, I feel really strongly about supporting shows like Man Grook Footy Show and and um you know, that's why I'm I'm really keen to keep mentioning Outer Sanctum podcast. Get on it, it's great. <laughs> um those women are fabulous and yeah, I don't know. It was a pretty surreal moment though. Yeah. Did anyone else hear that? Like I can imagine.
0: And then the silence afterwards must have been It's deafening. Yeah. And then the initial response wasn't that great as well. Goodness me.
1: But you know, I don't look, Eddie has a bit of a past history with that sort of thing, but I I'm not naive enough to think that it's that it's necessarily it's about him or anything like that. It's not necessarily about Caroline Wilson either. It's on a much broader level totally, and that I don't want to shame Eddie or any other person who makes bigoted remarks like that either, this is a key learning point mm. for everyone yeah. and I think that um, the way that a lot of um, women and other commentators approached that incident gave the general community an opportunity to learn why it wasn't okay. Mm. Because I sort of have this thing where, you know, you get accused of, oh, God, you know, you can't say anything anymore. Everything's so politically correct, da 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 And I don't think it, it shouldn't be this, oh, no, I can't say that. It's that you wouldn't want to say that if you knew yeah. the impact that it had, yeah. you know. And that's the point that I, that I want to get to. It's not that, oh, can't say that, shouldn't say that, Oops, You know, no, you wouldn't want to when you can see the impact on real people's lives. Yeah. So, I, I don't know.
0: I agree. And in, in some strange way, I'm, like, I'm kind of grateful... There's two things I'm grateful for. One that
1: only two. <laughs> yeah, only two. Every That's morning it. I do my gratitude <laughs>
0: list, and there's two things, and these are them. <laughs> there's um, well, one that Eddie, kind of that he exists
1: mm. because he. Wow. Okay. Carlton's a boarder saying that though. Yeah. Epic.
0: <laughs> but it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment because he. The gaff what, that
1: keeps on gaffing.
0: Yeah, and he's sort of bringing up these things that are under the, the, the subconscious, it's that subconscious, that casual racism, that casual sexism that exists in our culture everywhere and it's happening all the time. And people, they don't pick up on it because it's sort of just part of it. And then Eddie will say it, he gives it a, a big audience and it gives people that are prepared to stand up and speak up a chance to say, this kind of thing that you've all just heard now, Mm -hmm. it's happening not just on the radio, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's not great. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm I'm grateful, you know, there's someone, that's why I'm (laughs) grateful for that. And then for the people that, you know, are willing to stand up and articulate why, like people like Kate Jenkins who can come and say, this isn't why it's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And I just remember looking at, um, if you go on Triple M footy website and they have like their banner picture, there's literally 20 white men yeah. and I just think what marketing department thought that that was a great idea for yeah. one and how is you know it's 2016 and there's still such a lack of diversity of voices in something that is supported by so many millions of people like and it's almost like and you can draw a bit of a political um, comparison as well you know where you know, the Senate or the House of Representatives actually doesn't look like the rest of Australia looks. And in football, the hierarchy and the commentators don't look like the rest of the football community. And so...
0: Even the playing group.
1: Absolutely. That... God, it's so wrong when, yeah, the playing group's more uh, diverse than the people calling (laughs) the game. Like, you know, and I just think... Sometimes I just wonder, like, am I the only person who sees that? Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot of football talk, A lot of football talk, yeah. But I was trying to make it about social change. I tried to, I got in some politics. I said Senate. I think I said, yeah, like, I know. I'm I'm happy, happy with that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's just, yeah, I just see it as being a real vehicle that we can sort of use and steer it in the right direction um to get to where we need to go as activists or as you know change makers or or disruptors we need to sort of in some ways latch on to things that already exist and kind of infiltrate (laughs)
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense it's like um yeah tacking onto the current that's already there and then slowly diverting that current as opposed to like being you know just trying to stand in its
2: way yeah Yeah. that's
1: it and like because i mean I haven't had as much success in changing people's minds from being confrontational than I have from gently challenging and providing a solution or a way forward. Yeah. And so I just sort of you know, I had to learn the hard way, like any soapbox early twenty, you know, person going through that, oh my god, the world's not exactly as I you know, as I always thought it was. Yeah. Um and, you know, as you said before, you know, I'm grateful for Eddie. Well, my dad is of very different politics to to me, um, but he loves the devil's advocate, loves playing the devil's advocate. Um, and when I was younger, it shit me to tears. <laughs> like, it was honestly the most frustrating thing So I just wanted to shake him and be like, why, why do you, don't you agree? And... <laughs> But I realise, and, you know, I don't want to give him the satisfaction, but um, he, he did teach me a very valuable lesson in, you know, if you want people to listen to you, you can't yell at them. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you, you know, you can't get people on the defensive straight up. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it was just sort of something that I had to learn, you know, by doing. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that as, as annoying and whatever as it was at the time. But, um you know, I just sort of see and, you know, gosh, my dad's, you know, a fantastic person. He just um I almost when I'm going into any kind of meetings and um, you know, dealing with people who don't just quite get it or just need a bit of support to get to where you need them to get to in terms of the language they're using or um the way that they're framing discussions. I just transpose his face <laughs> onto all of them and I just see Yep, I'm just going to be g- gently, gently, you know, I'll take you on the journey with me. Yeah. You know, come with me in this. Yeah. So.
0: Well, that's probably a good leading. Like, what, you know, what is the change that you want to see and how are you, what ways are you bringing that about right now? Yeah, good yeah. question.
1: Oh, I've just come from a meeting this morning and we were talking about, a couple of my colleagues and I, about um, essentially having to channel your energy into just a couple of causes almost, because yeah. when you're, you know, really value-based and you're really driven and passionate about all forms of social inequality, injustice, everything, um, it's really depressing. <laughs> like, you, it's really exhausting. Yeah. And, and so, and look, some people will ask me sometimes, like, you know, how did you find your way into sort of... Um, working in you know, women's not-for-profits or um, women's rights organisations and I always say like, it just didn't feel like a choice. It felt like it found me yeah. um, and so in terms of the change that I'm trying to make, um, as a young woman that um, works in an organisation primarily made up of other young women. I'm really excited and motivated by the fact that I might see equality in my lifetime, yeah. like meaningful gender equality in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, essentially stand on the shoulders of the giants who come before you and all of the, the women um, and the men who, you know, have made great sacrifice to fight, you know, for my right to be um, and to sort of almost... Yeah, keep pushing it forward and to try and get even closer in my lifetime. That's that's what I'm here for and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah,
0: it does. Can I dig speaking. a bit deeper to what, what would a quality look like?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's actually how I start most of the presentations that I do is yeah. close your eyes and imagine... What would a gender equal world actually look like? And pretty much no one can do it. Yeah. Because we have no idea what it would look like. And I'm the same. So, I mean, there are milestones and things that we can work towards, you know, like education. you know, making sure that education is freely available to everybody that, you know, young girls aren't discriminated against on the basis of their gender for healthcare, or, you know, in the types of livelihoods that they're able to choose and all those sorts of meaningful steps that we can get there. I suppose in some way thinking of what a gender equal world would look like is somewhat of a red herring because what we're really after is liberation. Liberation from these damaging gender stereotypes and roles that, you know, men, women and people who who don't identify on that binary at all are oppressed by. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe I need to change my slogan to imagine what a you know gender liberated world would look like or something. <laughs> but um yeah. that's kind of food for thought for me, I guess. I'm sort of starting with equality, I guess, because it's a an easily understood Term, whereas when you're talking about sort of maybe equality feminism versus liberation feminism, you're sort of getting into really nuanced territory there that people, you yeah. know, when you're just trying to do a two minute pitch, you can't sure. quite get there quick enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. Yeah, so I guess that's what I, 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 I don't know. I yeah. don't even know. Maybe closer to what I was sort of saying before about. You know, when the, I don't know, all of the things that make a democratic society function, be they politics or um, business or whatever, when the people making the decisions actually reflect the people that they're making decisions for, maybe that, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Maybe in a Western sense, at least. Yeah. Um, but I think the main point and... The fact that I'm stumbling over it so much is that we have actually no idea.
0: Yeah, it's... Yeah, I... What do I think you it, think it would look like? Well, it's... I heard... A few months ago, I was listening to the... Um, I can't remember his exact title and I can't remember his name, but he was like the multiculturalism commissioner, something along those lines. And it was a really interesting talk that he gave around multiculturalism and racism. And he was a, he was a first or second generation Australian... And
1: Was his first name Tim.
0: Could have been. Could be. Yeah.
1: I think I know who you mean. I yeah. should definitely know who you mean. But okay. Carry yeah.
0: on. So, and I actually asked him that question at the end. I said, "Look, what would a what would a truly a truly uh, multicultural society look like?" And he um, he stumbled over it a bit as yeah. well. Because I I mean I just I think painting that vision about, I think there's a bit of fear about it in some people's mind about, well, I'm going to have to let go of some power. (laughs) You know, this isn't going to be as good for me or it's just, it's unknown. I hate it, Ah. you know. And so I think for me, I I do think about, oh, what could it look like? And he did say some interesting things though. Like he, and just referring to, he referred to footy actually. And he said, look, it would look a little bit like this. Like if, if the, the way that football is celebrated and Uh, footballers are celebrated if that if that same enthusiasm and coverage and attention was applied to other areas of our culture you know to those who are doing amazing things in social work or whatever it is you know and who who are representing their cultures in different ways or the arts or you know a truly diverse culture would celebrate all these things according to their representation Mm -hmm. and it's like that's that's what it could look like. And yeah, that, that right. kind of, I was like, yeah, I kind of get that because it, that, that, that actually, I, I really like that explanation as a starting point, you exactly. know, to say, and, and I think for me, I do start to, like the AFL women is a big part of that for me. It's like, well, why, why is the men's game so, why have I always thought that men are stronger and better and faster and that they, they can only play that? Look, like, why, mm-hmm. why is that like an assumption in my head all the yeah. way through? Then I watch the women's game on T V and it's it's so skillful and it's tough. And and I see some acts of sportsmanship or sports personship, I don't know if that's yeah, the right way. Fab. But um on the field that I don't really see when the are exactly playing exactly right. As well. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's that's what I start to think about anyway. And yeah.
1: when you were saying that I was thinking, um, people like um, the multicultural Minister, or I don't know, whatever, right, Commissioner, yeah, yeah um, or me, we never get time to actually think about what it might look like because we're too busy just convincing people that it's even a thing. Yeah. Like, to convince people that sexism exists or misogyny exists, or to convince someone sometimes that racism exists, that actually is taking up all of their time. Yeah. You don't actually get a chance to create this, you know, fabulous picture of what, you know, utopia might look like you you never actually get there so you know potentially the best way for us to push these discussions along is to just start talking about what we are trying to create rather than wasting our time trying to convince people um that we should even be doing this work yeah yeah
0: (laughs) because that you know as you say that i remember the, the the talk that was held there and There were some people basically questioning that racism existed. You know, and and he was, you know, on the front foot. And I can imagine that a lot of his talks he probably has to do that. That's it.
1: And it's really boring (laughs) like to have to constantly convince somebody about inequality when you know it exists, all the facts are there, but they can't see it or they're privileged enough to be blind to it. It's so boring. Like, I'm so over that. Yeah. Like, let's move forward, please. And let's just let, you know, if we can create more of a vision of what it might look like and support people to, you know, actually make it really tangible in their everyday life, then those people who just don't get it will then be the ones who are alienated rather right. than the ones who are actually fighting for equality. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a goal, in some ways, that you know, like you were saying with the Eddie Maguire like Sam Newman, who then comes out, you know, in vehement defense of Eddie, he should be the one alienated, yeah. not Caroline Wilson, or the women who stood up for her, yeah. which is what he did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's sort of. Yeah, I like it. Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The other day, Joe Watson, who's um, yes. captain of Essendon, came back and oh. uh, after a one-year ban, and he decided that he was going to play. And I didn't watch the whole interview, but I saw a little grab of him standing on the TV there wearing his yes. jacket and his
1: hat. Wasn't it fabulous?
0: What does... So on his hat, um, on the under... The underneath the Peak was written in green, feminist. Yep. What does that mean to you when a guy does something like that?
1: Yeah, right. Oh, that's a, such a good question. And I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I thought it was amazing. I yeah. thought it was brave. Do I think that he should get more plaudits than a woman doing the same thing? No, because it's actually braver for women to do it because women are punished for claiming that label in a way that men aren't. Men who identify as feminists are celebrated, you know, in a way that women who identify as feminists don't. Um, And so I found that curious. However, you know, it's sort of from, and I can't speak for Joe Watson, I mean, I'd love to be sitting here having a conversation with him too about it, but um, that can be your next podcast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's so actually, I, I don't know who the quote is from, and I, I feel embarrassed that I don't know who said it, but um, something along the lines of, um, you know, men can't be trying to take up space within feminist movements. They need to take the space they already have and make it feminist. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I see as as Joe Watson doing, is taking an opportunity that he had to be in front of a big audience and to make a statement and to create some conversation or some social change. So that's what I think is fabulous. Like, I'm not as interested in, you know, men... Coming and saying, oh, you know, I feel excluded from this event, or I feel, da-da-da-da. no, like, you know, feminist movements are, are going to have to be led by women because women are the people who are most marginalised by gender stereotypes. Yeah. Um, so you just need to go out and take all your privilege and go into the spaces where your voices are heard, i.e., everywhere and anything public, and make those spaces more feminist, rather than trying to essentially colonise women's space that already exists and that we've worked really hard to forge or, you know, carve out for ourselves. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. What did you think when you saw it?
0: Yeah, I... Well, I've, I probably want to explore this a little bit with you because I feel...
1: You seem challenged by something I just said.
0: Um, no, no, no. I'm challenged by this idea of a guy calling himself a feminist like oh, all, or right. myself. Like, I don't know, it's almost like, I don't, I don't think I, I don't know how, I don't think I'd back it up. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm really worthy of doing that, but I, I'm, and I don't know if I understand exactly what it means for a guy to be a feminist sure. as
1: well.
0: And I, and on YouTube recently, there was a, I'm not on YouTube, on Facebook, there's a whole lot of stuff about, um, that I came across, you know, guys calling themselves feminists and, and it did kind of challenge me a bit. I'm yeah. like, well, what does that? What does it actually mean because for me a feminist is is a woman who's standing up for female rights and being quite an activist about it sure and I I think it just really challenged it was a challenge to me in a good way so yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't want to just ask
1: yeah. to talk about that yeah that's where do you think that idea came from though like your vision of what a feminist looks like
0: um, I don't. Jermaine Grier is coming to yeah. mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I spend I spend so much of my life thinking about these things. So I'd like trying to get it down into like a non sentence is a challenge. I've almost got to the point where I actually don't give a shit if you say you're a feminist or not. Yeah. I'm more concerned that you act and behave in a feminist way. Yeah. So. For you, as someone who identifies as a man, I, I wouldn't waste your time trying to decide whether you're going to identify with this label or not, yeah. and actually just go out into the world and start doing fabulous feminist work, which means, you know, calling out sexism wherever you see it, use the voice and the space that you have, um, you know, supporting and promoting you know, women, women's achievements or the achievements of other marginalised groups wherever you can, understanding that oppression is, you know, systemic and um, I guess, yeah, it, it's, it's a really divisive um, conversation often. It's like, are you feminist, are you not? Mm. I actually don't really care as long as what you do yeah. is really feminist i guess however i also think that there is such power in the term and i am absolutely supportive of people who want to claim that title for themselves i am one of those people i have become one of those people and a lot of my identity you know is built around what that means to me and the understanding that everybody's feminism is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no one feminism. There are feminisms. Like, it's, it is whatever you really want it to mean. At its base level, it's obviously your sort of um, political, social, economic quality yeah. of sexes, you know. But with an understanding that you'll fight for that and also an understanding that, the female sex is the most marginalised and oppressed at this point in time. So, yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. And there are so many different facets of of feminism. And I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to be, you know, educated. I mean, I'm I'm a really white woman. Like, I am so white. And there's no getting away from that. Like, I... You know, there's nothing remotely exotic about me in any way. Um, That's, you know, I've had the privilege of being educated by, you know, some Aboriginal women or African American women on why they don't identify with the term, you know, or that they, like this particular woman I've got in mind, um, you know, preferring the term womanist. Or, you know, not identifying with feminism because she associates it with a sort of 1970s second wave, um, you know, fighting for, um, you know, economic equality or sexual and reproductive health, say. And I remember listening to, have you heard of Celeste Little? No. So she's an amazing um, Aboriginal woman um, and feminist commentator. She often writes for Daily Life. And so so much of um, our feminism in the West um, is around reproductive rights and reproductive health and access to contraceptives or um, you know legal abortion or safe abortion and I remember listening to her speak and she said well you know there was a lot of Aboriginal women that that's not their biggest concern because um, we could have all the access to contraceptives and abortions that we want because people don't want us to procreate, yeah. you know, and looking back. Yeah. And, and there was just this moment for me where I just thought, oh, my goodness, how could I have been so naive to think that, you know, the things that each group needs are the same, Yeah. you know? And, like, she has been so important in sort of educating, you know, white women like me or... Um, on you know, the, the different struggles that Aboriginal women would face in this country. And yeah. that for me, that, that was just one thing I heard and I just thought, like, wow, yes, of course. Yeah. You know?
0: One of those mind-blowing moments. Oh, ah, yeah.
1: totally. And, you know, there's so many, you know, women from poorer areas in the States, be they Latina women or, um, or black or African-American women who are paid to be sterilized so that they don't have more children, you know? And it's just that the struggle looks very different for different groups of people. So for me, feminism is more of a prism with which to view that struggle and how to approach it as opposed to a prescriptive sort of this is what we fight for. Sure. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, essentially we've managed to combine my two favorite things, feminism and football. (laughs) So I'm pretty happy. Um, (laughs) And I've written a little bit about the uneasy relationship between feminism and football. Um, Particularly, like I said at the start, it is such a hyper masculine culture often that accompanies football. And, I guess I got really used to my worlds only collided when footballers sexually assaulted women. So then, then all of a sudden all my feminist friends or colleagues in women's health would suddenly care about football <laughs> well, yeah. or talk about it and that'd be the only way for my worlds to yeah, collide. Yeah. Whereas now with the new you know, women's league and um, things like what, you know, Joe Watson did, my worlds get to collide in the most magic way and I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Like, it's fantastic. It does
0: feel like a pretty special time.
1: It is a special time.
0: I was going to ask you, so you're saying you you write about this stuff? You, Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I guess a broader question. Yeah, you talk a bit about your writing, but how, and you talked a little bit about how you're in meetings sometimes. I'm interested, how is this, how are you bringing... How are you bringing this kind of change? Or, you know, what vehicles are you using right now?
1: Oh, so like the, who I'm working for, that yeah, sort of thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I was wondering how, it's really funny because normally a conversation would start with that question. <laughs> yeah. And I've just come fresh off um, my 10-year school reunion. Yeah. And I was adamant when I went that I would not start a conversation with someone with, with um, what do you do? Yeah. So I just thought oh, that's mortifying to be, you know, defined by that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, um, and so I, I was like, oh, what can I come up with that's just not completely yeah. wanky and terrible? And I ended up coming up with um, what's really big for you right now that you'd love to tell me about? Yeah. I can. Um, so it's just ironic that it's taken us this long to get to the what do you do. Um... <laughs> I have a knack of being able to not actually answer the question and to just go on this magical tangent. Um, <laughs> excuse me for that. Um, I blame my mother and her fabulous storytelling ability. She just, you know, she's wonderfully hyperbolic and, <laughs> and fabulous. Um, but what I do, I, I guess I've taken all the things that I've learned along the way and tried to carve out my perfect job and that meant um, founding a non-profit or being a founding member of a nonprofit organisation called the Global Women's Project uh, along with three other incredibly wonderful women uh, and what we are trying to do is, I guess, not make the mistakes that have been done in the past in terms of international or global development where... People like us, you know, have access to the education and resources and the networks that we have as white women, and we would go into other countries and tell people which way's up. Yeah. So our organisation is based on the fact that we know that there are women everywhere doing remarkable work, but they just don't get the acknowledgement for it, and they don't have the resources uh, to do it on a bigger scale. Yeah. And so. We um, started our organisation based on two grassroots organisations, one in Cambodia and one in Nepal, that were both led by the most formidable, badass powerhouse women you've ever met, and they're fabulous. And essentially we made it our aim to support the work that they do in a sustainable way. So, you know, for, for us that means providing you know, financial assistance where we can. So, you know, community fundraising here and, you know, running events and all that sort of stuff. Um, But it also means having a really skilled team that can provide technical input and assistance where they need it. So not about us coming in telling them, you know, oh, I think you need to do this, Uh, you know, which development work has a long history of, of having been done like that. Um, And I guess, you know, we're a group of young women, we didn't come with sort of preconceived ideas of how things should be done or have always been done and we just sort of, um, I guess, want to really be part of shifting a charity paradigm or that kind of mindset of like saving and helping and all that sort of stuff that's really cringeworthy, you know, for us now. Yeah. whilst at the same time not alienating and not looking over all the great work that's been done over hundreds of years. I'm not, <laughs> I, can, it's, it's, I can get into really difficult territory there and I can upset a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Global Women's Project um, takes up most of my waking hours, yeah. gleefully so. Um, and my role, so I call myself... Um, the war manager so just trying to be subtly disruptive in terms of the language that i use (laughs) um copyright by the way (laughs) um no so just challenging people like i hand over a business card and instead of saying manager on it it has you know wo in a um brackets in front of it and i've had i've never had um one person that hasn't made a comment about it yeah. and I just think yeah that's good that's what I'm going for yeah. Um, and yeah my role is mainly around communications community and culture so trying to build a really strong organizational culture that supports people to be the kind of change that they want to see um, it means building community with a shared vision and working towards um, this you know idea of a gender equal world and, and supporting people to play their part, however big or small, you know, like not everyone yeah. and can or should, uh, drop everything and be quote unquote bleeding not for profit worker, bleeding heart, not for profit worker, yeah. um, as I have been labeled in the past. <laughs> um, yeah. you not, everyone can do that, but everyone can do something. And so I feel like it is my job, through communications and the community aspect of my role, to support each and every person to play their part. And I kind of figure if everyone does that, we get so much closer. And I might have a better answer for what does a gender equal world look like, you know? Um, In terms of one of the other things um, I'm doing at the moment, is some really exciting work, and again, it's a communications and sort of marketing role, um, but it's for a Melbourne-based nonprofit called Birth for Humankind, and Birth for Humankind provides um, free birth support and education for women who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. So you know, so much um, you know in Australia with say maybe the privatization hospitalization or medicalization of birthing you know it then becomes expensive Mm. to have a baby often um and you know women shouldn't be precluded from having access to services just because they can't afford it and so you know this provides this organization which is amazing and i'm so privileged to be part of it um you know the women that we work with are predominantly you know under the age of twenty five um, who you know might not have access to the resources or the networks or you know their friends aren't necessarily having babies and they don't you know they can't just borrow you know this that and the other from a friend um, or they're women from refugee or asylum seeker backgrounds who have f- you know fleed the most horrible circumstances in search of you know a better life here but they've left all their family behind yeah you know and so they don't have that support or those networks around them when they're you know having a baby and um also you know supporting uh women experiencing homelessness or women with a history of um you know having um, ab- abuse and trauma in yeah in their histories or um who are experiencing a mental illness or at risk of you know, perinatal depression and, and things like that. And so, I mean, it sort of blew me away when I found out about the organisation that something like that didn't really exist in Melbourne until just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, And, you know, cause I'm, I'm sort of in the throes of doing a few, um, you know, annual report style things where I'm trying to actually capture how important this work is. Um, and I'm just absolutely blown away by the the women that I work with every day it's such a privilege to be part of um, this team yeah so I sort of got there from having um, cut my teeth essentially in a great you know regional women's health service and working in a family violence team and working um, in health promotion and prevention of violence against women and doing some community campaigns on Know, family violence prevention and then just sort of realize that my skills don't sit as well sort of working face to face or be, you know being at the coal face of those things my skills more lie at being able to understand them on a systemic level and then tell you why you should care about it and what you can do about it yeah <laughs> so yeah. make it
0: accessible for i other hope people. so yeah yeah yeah. That
1: said, that was a very long-winded response that probably wasn't overly accessible. But <laughs> But I guess, like, you know, so many of those services, everyone is so caught up with doing the important work all the time that nobody has a chance to sit that level above and actually do the advocacy and yeah. do the, you know, talking about the impact that you're having and why it's necessary and all those sorts of things. So, you know, a lot of... Services, you know, women's health services and things like that don't have communications roles at all. Right. Because they're just so under-resourced and so busy doing this incredible work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I'm sort of trying to continue to carve a bit of a niche for myself in, you know, in understanding the theory behind it, having seen enough of the coalface sort of front end Work and then be able to sort of translate that for a wider, wider audience. So I'm really excited of yeah the sort of um, yeah where I'm at right now and just sort of getting closer and closer to figuring out what I have to offer to the movement or to the community and Yeah. yeah and part of that was the blogging or you know sharing a bit of myself and whatever,
0: online. Mm. Um, but. Got a couple of questions for you as we start mm-hmm. to wrap up.
1: Um,
0: the first one is about something you'd like to disrupt one day in the future outside of what you're involved with right now, like a subtle disruption. I guess, you know, say um, we did live in a gender equal world. What's, what's something else that's kind of gnaws at the back of your brain that you'd like to be a part of?
1: Oh... If I take gender out of it, that's hard. I've never you can put it, it in. Happened. That's all right. If there's well, that something
0: that you're not working in right now, that's.
1: I guess, um, and this is funny actually, because I I had this exact conversation early this morning, where I sort of desi- decided that veganism was my final frontier, um, because there are so <coughs> many parallels between feminism and veganism. Um, and a uh, shout out to one of my f- great friends, Ada, who does you know really spectacular work, and I had the privilege of sharing an office with her for a few years and she's been vegan for sort of eighteen or 20 years now and um, and she's also been a frontline family violence worker for almost the same period of time and she's written and explored a lot about the um, the parallels between eating meat and the hyper masculine culture that goes along with that and men's violence against women. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Is it? Yes, it's amazing. And she's amazing. And she now, you know, runs men's behaviour change groups as well. And um, so I, I kind of feel for me that, you know, to have my politics in alignment would be to, you know, gradually make the transition um to being vegan um and look i'm i i'm i'm trying i'm gradually becoming a much more conscious consumer and you know thanks to people like that who are unapologetic in calling you out for for things and are really pushing you to to do better and be better yeah uh when you know better essentially so I reckon, for me, that might be one of them. But I also totally want to work for the AFL and just <laughs> yeah. shake shit up in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's sort of... I mean, I, late last year, I was working with um, a friend of mine, Jason Ball, who ran for oh, yeah. the Greens in Higgins, who's a fabulous, fabulous person and we were discussing that um, sexism and homophobia are essentially the same thing when we're talking about say a football culture because you're just yeah. trying to feminize your opponent mm, yeah. yeah so sexism and homophobia actually look the same or very similar in those kind of realms and we were thinking hmm, maybe together we can sort of, you know, do a bit of a duo thing, go into footy clubs and, like, yeah. you know, he can talk about his experience of homophobia and I can talk about my experience of sexism yeah. at footy and being like, hey, guys, it's actually kind of the same thing. And, yeah, so I think that there's, that's a nice little opportunity. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. But um, sort of got put on the back burner because he had to you know, run for government and all that. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he was an ex-footballer, is that right? He played,
1: he st- well, he played until last year when he did his knee out in the Yarra Valley League. Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah n- not not at the highest level, but yeah. still at a high level. But the first yeah. openly gay player. That's right, um, yeah. Yeah, and so he's, oh, to have Pride Round this year, mm. what a magnificent achievement of yeah. of his and the couple of, you know, People in the AFL that can see the potential, yeah. like yeah, Matt Finnis CEO of, of St Kilda, and Alan Richardson, the coach, and you know they can see yeah, how important it is to be inclusive. Yeah, that it just adds value.
0: And it adds value, yeah. It it's like it's actually better for everybody.
1: I mean, yeah, you. There's yeah. no argument against any of these things. No, there's not. So we know this, but anyway.
0: The last question is about yourself and about, I guess you know where we're talking about subtle disruptions and the subtle disruption you're part of. What's something small, a small change that you've made in your own life that's had a big impact or that um, has been a part of getting you to where you are now and perhaps sustains you on your way as well and be interesting for other people to hear about too?
1: There was two things that came up for me when you said that. One of them was the concept of paying it forward And I had a few women, and and continue to have, who really took me under their wing, um, and supported me to get to where I am right now. You know, whether they be managers or friends or just you know acquaintances that could see something in you and just wanted to get you to that next step. And I feel really strongly about then doing that for other people, and I will go back to those original women on a regular basis and tell them that that support that they gave me has put me on this journey and then it's impacted you know, whoever I've happened to then come across and support. Yeah. Um, and that sort of beautiful paying it forward sort of aspect, um, I think something that uh, is really rejuvenating, um, just that feeling that you know, someone's done something really lovely for you yeah. and then you can go and spread the joy, yeah. essentially, I think that that's fabulous, um, yeah. and we should all be looking for opportunities to do that every day. Yeah, um, you know, and I know there's big sort of you know, the Wake Up Project doing the kindness cards, and you know those sorts of things, and so just little ways of doing you know anonymous acts of kindness, essentially. Um, and the other thing that came up for me, and this is something that I do so poorly, um, and I keep getting reminded and the fact that I'm sick, like right now, with this stupid cold, and I know I've said to you guys, sound like Fran Drescher on, the, <laughs> on this podcast. This is not my regular nasal um, um, voice, but um, the concept of self care, and that if you don't take care of yourself and this body that you're in, then what hope do you have of sort of, you know, spreading that care. To other people. Like, you can't take care of people unless you take care of yourself. And, you know, it is so easy um, in this, particularly in this kind of line of work, to put yourself last always. And it's always about the cause and, oh no, but I've got to do it for them. And, you know, and you just get to the point where, and I've got to the point where I got, I had a year of acute acute illness in and out of hospital and I've had 12 no 10 colds and a flu in the past 12 months Yeah. because I refuse to want to take care of myself obviously and I'm sort of at the point right now where I think no this can't happen anymore because it's so unsustainable yeah. um, so I guess just finding what works for you in terms of Keeping your energy levels going because this is, um, you know, it's a long. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's a long race, a long, long game. game. Thank you, God. I'm s- not next to the Game, I can't remember <laughs> long game. Um, yeah, I think that that's yeah. You know, social change is a long game. Yeah. So if we don't invest in our personal and physical sustainability, yeah. we're not going to have lasting change. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with it at the moment I'm <laughs> yeah. grappling but I can tell you I'm going to a fabulous yoga workshop for three hours tonight on my Friday night which is one of the most fabulous ways to spend a Friday night if you're not in front of the footy <laughs> um, and you know just finding the little things that work for you yeah. and they look different for everyone
0: that's a great way to
1: finish yeah, Karma, thank you for thank you well
0: for... talking to us while you do have to call well. <laughs>
1: <Appreciate it. laughs> i hope yes it wasn't too horrible and painful to listen to um but thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the work that you're doing promoting you know people who otherwise would necessarily have a platform like this it's fantastic to to have been asked so even be part of this was such a privilege, and one of the main reasons I use Twitter because <laughs> I just got to meet all these fantastic. Yeah. It's so easy to find your tribe on Twitter, yeah. and you know I'm so so glad that you got in touch. And yeah, this is a fantastic way to spend grand final leave.
0: You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. As well.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through disruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own
2: Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.